everybody i'm eric and i'm matt and welcome to the garf network uh matt why don't you tell us what we've got coming up tonight well tonight we have a longtime cornerstone of the horror community that years ago was was a name that was synonymous with a lot of online horror reporting uh mr steve barton uncle creepy himself is here uh we're gonna talk a lot of stories about his involvement in horror, what he loves about horror, what got him into it, his relationship with George, uh, which was very deep over the last 20 some years. Uh, so be prepared to laugh tonight because Steve is a great <laughs> storyteller and I am very excited to have him on. Uh, before we bring Steve on board, we want to remind everybody that these broadcasts are brought to you free of charge from the George A. Romero Foundation. If you'd like to give back, you can visit the website via the link in the banner below. Uh, at that link, you can find everything we're up to, everything we've been up to in the past, and what we're working towards, as well as making a donation. Yeah, any support is is appreciated. It helps us keep the lights on, helps keep the foundation, share the message of George, and and help foster new and young independent filmmakers, and really keep the spirit of independent filmmaking alive. Another way you can contribute to the foundation is via our Patreon page, which allows uh, you to make a monthly subscription via as low as $3 on up. So that way you can just kind of set it and forget it. Uh, and there's also exclusive content over there as well. Uh, and uh, if you're watching us right now, or maybe if you're watching us via one of our other networks, be sure to drop by our official Facebook page and give it a like so that you can just another way of staying up to date with everything that the foundation and the network is up to. And, you know, it's a great, seems like a great many things going on. Lots of things in the hopper these days. So you definitely yeah. want to, you want to tune in for sure. Yeah. And don't forget if you're watching this on Facebook or Twitter, please don't forget. We also have a YouTube page, which all of our shows are archived on with some additional content. So go ahead to YouTube and search for the Garf network. And there you can go back and revisit all of our shows from our Night Riders month to My Bloody Valentine to Tales from the Dark Side, Tales from the Hood. All the shows we have are there for you to enjoy whenever you want. So please visit us and subscribe if you haven't done so so far. Also, uh, stick around at the end of the show. We're going to give a little uh, special announcement to. I don't know. Maybe we will. Maybe we won't. We'll see. But, oh, dangling uh... <laughs> that carrot. <laughs> But, yeah. Yeah, but we we have secured a guest for uh, late September that we're psyched about. So we can't wait to uh, drop that reveal at the end of uh, at the end of the show. So uh, without any further ado, let's go ahead and bring on Uncle Creepy, Mr. Steve Barton. How you doing, sir? OK, I have issues. Uh oh, <laughs> we have fucking issues. Can I curse? Yes. Yeah. OK, good. I have issues first. I'm not the carrot dangle guest, all right? Seriously, <laughs> right? When I think of dangling carrots, I'm the first person that comes to my mind, all right? <laughs> right? And then second, Matt's talking about me like I'm dead. Oh, 
in years gone by, his name was synonymous with blah, 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 blah. And now he's just a deadbeat piece of entertainment <laughs> that we brought on to the show for absolutely no reason whatsoever. Because, well, to be honest, we couldn't get anyone else at the moment. So we figured out, oh, let's just throw this little bastard in here. And then I come on here, right? And you're trying to show me up. You're trying to show me up. I come on here. You're wearing a Garf shirt. You're wearing a Knight Rider shirt. I busted out Mini George. See? <laughs> Mini George. I fucking upped the ante, baby. What do you got? Huh? Brought in the reinforcements. That's right. That's right. <laughs> hey, guys. Thanks so much for having me. I no longer <laughs> have issues. I got all of my hostility out within like 30 seconds. That's amazing. The room oh, is good. clear. We appreciate that. I mean, actually, yep. we've been meeting hey, to... from Poltergeist. It's like this room is clean. <laughs> <laughs> and I think we we first started talking about having you on. What was it? January. I mean, it's just uh, that's how kind of how fast things have been moving lately. And yeah, uh, man. Well, I'm only playing. It's always an honor to be here with you guys. I mean. I very much consider the George A. Romero Foundation a home of mine, where I, I like to exist and I, I like to uh, I like to celebrate George. Man, anyone who knows me knows that that's just such a a huge part of my life. And uh, you know, you know, Matt and I were actually talking. First of all, before we go any further. Let's hear it for Mr. Matt Blasey selling books this weekend, baby. <laughs> Eight days in the wood, sold out here, on here. Saturday. We had to get another order of books in, okay? I can't say that much. shit. That's awesome, dude. You sold out in a good way. Well, thank you. Yeah, that was it, it was it was my first time behind a table as a vendor the whole weekend, and it was a great show. It was a creature feature weekend. So if you guys are ever in the close to central PA, right in Gettysburg. Uh, Craig puts on a great show called Creature Feature Weekend. And we just had John Amplis was there, uh, Kyra Schoen and Jim Crutt were there. So we had some uh, Romero alum that had a great time. And uh, John Amplis did his Nathan Grantham in costume photo op awesome. on Saturday. And then Jim was in makeup again and did his photo op Saturday night as well as a helicopter zombie. So wow, there was, again. there was, yeah, there was a lot of great, great photo ops happening. And and John looked great. We had the tray with, with the head on it and everything. And the background was the, the red and black lightning uh, turned out super well. So uh, How awesome is that? yeah, great. Craig puts on a great show of creature features. So if you guys ever get a chance, it's usually around this time every year. Um, check it out. Nice old school convention feel. Very, very family oriented. Uh, just a great time. Yeah, man. You know, this was this past Monster Mania was like my first convention. Actually, it was my first East Coast convention in over 20 years. So for me, it was quite the homecoming, man. I didn't realize how much I needed that, you know? Yeah. I think like, the last one you did was Chiller in 2003 or 2004. That was one of the oh, last times wow. we saw each other. Yeah. Well, then on the set of Survival, which well, was yeah. a different story. Yeah. Mock was that a different story. Oh yeah, that's a whole show. We'll we'll touch on that tonight. Yeah. <laughs> now, have you you've recently moved to the East Coast? Have you have you located West? Yeah, I've moved back to the East Coast. Uh that's the point in my life where I felt like I needed to change. And I wanted to come home, you know? It, it's it's a really good feeling when you can, I guess, come full circle, you know? 
come back to where you start it and you see it with different eyes and sometimes just seeing the, the people that you grew up with or it's just a good feeling man like like getting to see Matt again for the first time in forever I didn't even want to let him go well, that's pretty fucking sexy now too <laughs> but um yeah between between Matt and myself we lost like two people weight wise true pretty yeah, impressive man. man yeah and uh Full size male. Yeah. You know, it it was just, it was, it was so cool just to see him again and, and to see everyone else and hang out and terrify your people. And oh, God, what a good time, man. Balloon volleyball, 3 a.m. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Nothing like hitting balloons around in the lobby at 3 a.m. so they don't hit the ground. And there's what, eight eight grown people jumping over furniture to. (laughs) This was at New Jersey Mania. Yeah, you know where they were coming from. I know. I they just showed up, and then all of a sudden we were like, "Let's not let them hit the ground." But, but they started multiplying. Like there was this dude Nick Cruz there, and he told me that upstairs there was another party going on that was full of balloons, and somehow the balloons kept making it down to the lobby. I, I don't know. This is what happens at horror conventions when people are drunk at three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> No, but those those are the best times where it's just like all of a sudden you just, you know, there's a piano in the lobby and someone just starts playing show tunes or you start mm-hmm. playing balloon volleyball or just, you know, a song breaks out. Like that's the, that's the fun stuff. And that's, you know, not seeing you for at a convention for almost 20 years. It just it was like we didn't we didn't miss a beat. Uh, it felt great. I mean, because two weeks ago was the first time we saw each other since the set of survival in 2008. So it had been 13 years and. <laughs> years it was but it it was like we didn't miss a beat you know we've stayed in touch and you know always kept up on each other's you know happenings and so it, it was just great to kind of kick it back and not think about the outside world and just have fun with friends because we really had a blast that weekend well you know what it is too man I, i'm um I, i'm gonna be honest my bucket list as a as a creative and as a person is filled you know, I've done just about every single thing I want to do in this genre, and I'm so lucky to have been able to do that. And I'm very cognizant of the fact that if it wasn't for the fans that go out there to these shows that that are just so rabid for the entertainment and so grateful for it, and they revere it so much, without those guys, we don't exist. You know, even this show does not exist without fans. So to have that kind of support, it's priceless. There's nothing like it. Like when people come up to me and ask to take a picture with me, that is the most humbling thing in the world. Because to me, I'm just nobody. You know, I'll, mm-hmm. I'll always look at me as nobody. You know, I'm, what did I say I had? Genital dysmorphia? That's the B-roll for you Patreon subscribers. You want to hear about genital dysmorphia? I'm on um, yeah, it, it's just such a cool thing, man. It's such a, such a, where you know Andrew Devoff, uh, a long time ago, we were hanging out at Chiller, and there were, I think it was, there were these two people arguing, right? And Andrew just said, "Hey, knock it out! We're fucking monsters in fantasy land. How serious can you take shit?" And I just thought that was like, wow, that was like gospel, you know? Really, just we're having so much fun. Like, why argue? Why fight? Let's just chill out and enjoy yeah. each other, man. Yeah, yeah. Well, you 
you mentioned coming full circle. I mean, that brings me to my first question is just what kind of got you started oh, with God. your interest in horror? What were some of your favorite movies oh, well, starting out? This is a, a much told tale. So forgive me if uh, anyone has heard this before. If you've ever been a fan of mine or followed me, you probably have, but uh, it seems appropriate to tell the story here of all places. Um, a lot of people have their defining moment when they're, I don't know, 40, 30, you know, they have that moment in their life that defines who they are and who they'll become. I had mine at three. And uh, what I mean by that was when I was a little kid, especially growing up on the East Coast, I knew that at two o'clock in the morning or one o'clock in the morning, that's when all the good shit started coming. <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah. So I used to wait till I heard my parents uh, fall asleep and start snoring. And as soon as that was like my audio cue, right? <laughs> I heard them snoring. I, I would go immediately into the living room. And back then we had this, sit up, George. We had this black and white console TV, right? It was like fucking massive. It was the kind of TV that it was so big that if it broke, you just put another TV on top of it and now fuck it, it's furniture, you know? It was just this massive TV. And um, it was two o'clock in the morning. I'll never forget this. And I got up and I went into the living room and I sat on the floor in front of the TV and I turned it on and I saw this newscast about the dead coming back to life. And they were talking about rescue stations. And I was like, holy shit, what's going on, right? So at three years old, I got up <laughs> in front of the TV and I ran into my parents' bedroom and I woke him up and I was like a little budding Bruce Campbell, man. I was trying to be a hero, right? I was like, dude, the dead are coming. We got to get to rescue stations. And uh, <laughs> they were like, oh, you're sleeping. You're having a nightmare. I'm like, no, I'm not. I swear to God, I'm not. And I grabbed my mom and I took her by her hand. I literally pulled her out of bed because this was important. I'm saving lives here, man, all right? And I brought her into the living room and my dad followed in tow and uh, I pointed to the TV and I said, look. And what was on was of course, Night of the Living Dead. And I got my first spanking that night. First time my little ass ever felt pain. And I remember laying in bed and saying to myself, wow, I was 110% terrified and 150% safe at the same time. And it was that, that feeling, that rush, that that's what I've been chasing my whole life. You know, so that very much got me started into the horror genre. Now I'm gonna be honest with you, I grew up in dysfunctional family circus, okay? My dad was a prick, he was an alcoholic, he was a terrible human being. He was a, a sterling example of how we will never choose to be. And, um, and my mom worked, so I was home with my dad for the majority of the time. And so I would sit in front of the TV. And these were the times I'd learned my moral lessons, my rights from the wrong. And um, a lot of that was from watching George Romero movies. So in a lot of ways, George kind of raised me without ever even knowing me. 
You know, I learned so much of who I am and how I am from watching his movies and listening to his dialogue and seeing what he made his characters do. They were so relatable to me, you know? I felt like I knew Peter. I knew Fran. I, I knew Captain Rhodes. I knew these people, you know? And I got my first job when I was, first of all, I'm Italian. And when you're Italian and growing up in Brooklyn, it's sort of like an unwritten rule. You got to work in a pizzeria as your first job. I don't know why that is. And then inevitably you come home from work and your mom ordered pizza and you're like, fuck. And uh, (laughs) and, uh, I worked totally dating myself here. I worked an entire summer to uh, buy Night of the Living Dead on VHS. It was the media home entertainment release and the, ugly fucking pink box, right? And it was $99. And I worked the entire summer to own that. And I watched that thing constantly. I mean, constantly. And then, um, you know, when I was growing up, man, I was the strange kid, shocker, right? So. You know, I didn't have sports figures on my walls. I didn't have cars. I didn't even have chicks in bikinis. You know, I had Reverend Kane from Poltergeist 2. I had Leatherface. I had Freddy Krueger. I had Jason. I had the tall man. I had a myriad of every little bit of dead stuff I could find. Of course, the Dawn of the Dead poster. Who didn't have that, you know? And um, Was it the Reverend Kane fold-out from the Fangoria issue? Was no, it was actually, it was actually there was a there was a cardboard standup. Ah, so it was like life size of Reverend Kane reaching out. It was awesome, and uh, you know, everybody, my mom especially, my mom, she's the one that got me. She used to watch horror movies with me. She was a horror fan, so she would watch these things with me when she had time. Every Godzilla movie my mom and I would watch together, you know? And uh, every horror, my mom took me to see Friday the 13th part two when it came out in theater. She was a cool lady, you know? And, uh, but even she was like, you know, you're never gonna do anything with this. You know, you should really maybe gain an interest in something else, something a little bit more accessible, you know? But I was like, no way, this is, what I'm gonna do, I'm gonna do something in the horror industry. I didn't know what, I had no idea what I was doing. I mean, I, I'm the type of person that if you ask me what seven times six is, I will have to count on my hands and toes. You could ask me where Friday the 13th part two was filmed and I'll tell you Kent, Connecticut. I don't even know why I know that, you know? But it's that kind of stuff that's just been so ingrained in me. And, uh, about, I don't know, many decades later, uh, I'm an idiot, you know, to this day. You give me something that makes noise or lights up, I'm like, ooh, pretty. (laughs) And uh, my girlfriend at the time, she had bought me this roaring Jurassic Park cage on eBay, you know, and uh, essentially it was a hollow cardboard box that looked like one of the containment units. It said Jurassic Park on it. And you press the button and it would go, Rawr. and I was like, this is the coolest fucking thing ever. You know, yeah, I'm a man child. I'm like 26 at this time, right? And uh, 
the dude who was selling it ended up living, sorry, George, ended up living down the block from me. And he called me. He's like, hey, instead of me putting this in the mail, why don't I just bring it over to you? And I'm like, sure. You know, so I get up and I go outside and I'm waiting for him to come up the block. And who turns the corny? The corny. Who turns the corny? That's the question of the evening, fellas. Who, who turns the corny? Turns the corny? Uh, but anyway, who turns the corner? Tony Timpone from Fangoria. And I was like, holy shit. So this dude comes up to me. He's like, hey, here's your Jurassic Park box. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, you're Tony Timpone, right? And he's like, yeah, hi, oh, I'm a member of the Fango family living this close. Who knew? And I'm like, holy shit. So Tony and I ended up getting really close because we were neighbors. And we hung out a lot. And he eventually gave me my first start online working for the Fangoria message board. And this is in the infancy of the internet. And what year roughly do you? Late 90s. I, I, I really, maybe early 2000s at best. Okay. No, wait, no. I'd say maybe 2000. 99, 2000, somewhere around there. And uh, he gave me my, my start. And I'll always credit him. And I started at Fangoria.com on a job that paid me no money, which would lead me to a many more jobs that paid me absolutely nothing. <laughs> and uh, but that's the price you pay when you want to be part of something like this. You know, you got to pay your dues. You got to crawl on your fucking stomach sometimes, man. And sometimes you never stop crawling, but if you're doing something that you love, then it's worth it. And uh, here we are, you know, uh, many, I started working with Fangoria, and then I went to the Horror Channel, which I hate saying their name because if you say it three times quick, the people behind it will appear like, oh, man, I don't like them. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, from the Horror Channel spawned Dread Central. And Dread Central I'll get to in a minute. But um, see, I'm sorry. You asked me one question. I could go on for a year. No, this is perfect. This is like my next three or four questions combined. So this All is right, awesome. Well, yeah. we'll <laughs> okay, so I, uh, <laughs> it's a very funny story. So I became very friendly when I was at, with the Horror Channel with uh, George's manager at the time, Chris Rowe, whom I'm still good friends with to this day. And Chris and I developed a heck of a rapport. You know, so... It was at a horrifying weekend in Maryland. It was my first chance to actually interview him. Okay. Is this 2004? I, I, dude, I, I couldn't even tell you. I'm thinking so, it was. I mean, I, I think we were all been. there. It could have been. So well, he was the main guest of honor in 04. Yeah. And and that was actually the last time I saw him. It probably was then. So, I'm supposed to interview George at like 8.30 in the morning, right? I can't sleep the night before. I'm fucking, I'm on every part of my body's like on fire. I'm about to meet my idol. No idea, okay? Um, so 7.15, I'm up and showered. And I don't know if you remember the horror find, uh, how it was set up, but there was... This big pool, and George was in one of the suites on the first floor. And uh, I'm going to omit part of the story, but 
as I was passing by, <laughs> I looked to my left and there was a celebrity. I'm not going to say who it was. It was a guy. Could be Romero related. Um, and he was just standing naked by the pool. And I'm like, what the fuck is this? You know, this is not how I wanted to start my morning, but okay. Um, and that has nothing to do with it. It's just every time I think of this story, <laughs> it, it, it's like Jaws 3D popping out at me, you know? Um, <laughs> <laughs> So, so um, I, I meet up with Chris after I see the unexpected genitalia. And, um, and there's nothing weirder than surprise genitalia at 7.20 in the morning, let me tell you. Um, I meet up with Chris, and Chris hands me George's hotel room key. And he's like, go ahead, just go chill out in there, and George will be in there soon. I froze. I totally I'm standing there holding George Romero's hotel key. Okay. What the fuck do I do? Just let yourself in. Oh, well, oh, oh. Sit on the corner of the bed. Just hang I, out. I did entirely <laughs> more than that, sir. <laughs> so I, I find the hotel room and I walk in and I'm just like stunned. I'm in like some weird fucking state of shock and uh i sat in every pillow i sat in every chair i went into his bedroom and i hugged his pillow like this right and then i went to the bathroom and i did the hero pee you know when you're just standing there <laughs> you're not holding it but you got your aim going you know and uh <laughs> very careful not to sprinkle on the floor because that would have been odd okay so I'm doing the hero pee, and then I sat down on the couch, and I looked to my left, and there's a whole fucking ashtray filled with George's cigarette butts. And I'm like, aw. <laughs> <laughs> and I, man, I could still feel my heart pounding, absolutely pounding. And then I hear the door open, and I'm like a deer in the headlights. And I'm like, right? And here, and I didn't know this, here comes this like six foot five giant of a man, okay? The biggest smile I've ever seen on anyone's face. And he just went, hey man, I'm George, let's shoot the shit. And I was instantly disarmed. And, you know, I did the interview and I ended up staying. And I got to tell him the get my ass kicked at three years old story. And I got to tell him the pizzeria story. And then he tried giving me the money back. And I'm like, oh, dude, stop that, right? Because that's George. He would he would not let anyone do anything. He put his hand right in his pocket. Let me give you back the money, man. I'm like, no, I can't do that, dude. But you are signing my motherfucking DVD, I'll tell you that. Um, and we just became good friends, you know? And, you know, and Matt and I were talking about this at, at Horrifying, because Matt had, not Horrifying, uh, Monster Mania, because Matt had a very similar experience with George. It, it's like when George Romero, George A. Romero, considers you cool enough to hang out with, that's like Bigfoot saying you're cool enough to know he exists. You know, I mean, it, it was just the most mind blowing thing in the world. And I, I'm so lucky, you know, I, I'm so lucky for all the time I had with him, 
and all the ridiculous laughs that we had and all the stupidity, the sheer stupidity that we got to engage in <laughs> years. And, you know, of course, meeting Suze, and she is so wonderful. I love Suze to death. I mean, his legacy couldn't be in the hands of a greater person, seriously, because she is so careful with it and, and so mindful of it, and she knows how much it means to so many of us. So, I mean, what a trip, man. You know, how many people could say that they not only met their idol, they befriended their idol, you know? And then, fuck, you know, I, I did Dread Central, you know, uh, the Horror Channel kind of disbanded. Was was the interview for the Horror Channel? Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. And uh, the Horror Channel disbanded. They were supposed to be the like, uh, like sort of like the sci-fi network, but for horror fans, didn't really work. Did, didn't they actually have kind of an on-demand presence for a second? Uh, yeah. No, it, it never happened. Okay. Uh, it got to the point where I had they had me as like their personality, kind of. Because I don't know if you could tell, I'm not really shy. Um, <laughs> and I created this entire kind of company for them, this whole presence for them, you know, online and this and that. And, I, I, and of course, it wasn't just me that did that. It was everyone that worked with me, including them. You know, they, they gave me the ball and they enabled me to run. And I ran like a motherfucker. You know, you give me a chance to do something, I'm going to do something incredible. And uh, things didn't work out in terms of them as a company. So I took Dread Central with me. And my entire staff at the Horror Channel, once I got fired, uh, they all came with me. And we started Dread Central. And I was editor-in-chief of Dread Central for 18 years. The uh, site's still going. I don't know how it's doing. Uh, I don't really pay attention, to be honest with you. I hope they're doing well. Uh, whether or not Dread Central is better or worse without me, that's up for the fans to decide, not me. You know, So I, I hope they're kicking ass. Uh, but during that time, man, you know, I'm a street kid from Brooklyn. I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. You know, I really didn't. So when I had questions, when I didn't know what to do, especially because I was getting in these really insane situations that I had no idea how to navigate, I would turn to either George or my other mentor, Sid Haig. And to have Sid on one shoulder and George on the other shoulder, fucking market I have asked for. You want to talk about the best guidance you could ever get, you know? And uh, when Dread Central came to a close for me, unfortunately, they had already, both of them had already passed, you know? And when it, when it came time to me making those decisions, like, do I leave? Do I try something else? I had the unique opportunity to go back and really think about what they would have told me, you know? And in my head, anytime I come up with a crazy fucking situation that I get involved in, I kind of dig deep and I look for them, you know, and both of them gave me enough to kind of know what the answer would be, you know? And I take that very seriously, you know, now, I mean, George and Sid imparted a lot of wisdom in me, a lot, which is ridiculous because as you could tell, I'm an idiot, you know? 
I'm an asshole. I'm just, I'm me. This is just who I am. But they trusted me enough to give me a lot of wisdom. And I feel like it's my responsibility to pass that on in any way that I can. And anytime I, I come into contact with a new filmmaker who's doing something, with somebody who's trying to get into the business but doesn't understand how, this Still there, Matt? Yeah, I'm here. I think we might have lost Steve yeah. for a second. Right. Okay, I'm back. Hi. Wouldn't it be great if I came back and I was shirtless? That would have been odd. That would have been better. <laughs> that would have been weird, right? But, <laughs> but no, seriously, it, to me, it's like my responsibility. And I, I take that responsibility for as much as I joke around and for as much as I'm a clown, I take that very seriously. So now, you know... I'm at the point in my career where, you know, I'm pushing 50. That's weird, right? I'm not the young lion on the scene anymore. But now I get to help the young lions like they did for me. And holy shit, what a gift that is. Mm -hmm. There. I've done the show. Good night. <laughs> <clears throat> well, you, you mentioned, obviously, you know, you Night of the Living Dead was kind of the genesis. Did you uh, did you immediately latch on to his other works? How did how did you discover uh, his, his other his other films? Once I saw Night of the Living Dead, Night of the Living Dead spoke to me in a way that uh, a few films ever have. You know, I mean, here was a situation that was completely unique. This wasn't like a vampire or a spooky monster living in you know, some sort of haunted castle. This was me. This was you. This was your neighbor. This was your family. You know, when you're put into that situation and the people you love are coming to kill you, do you have what it takes to put them down? Can you do that one perfect headshot? I don't know. But I found that way of thinking so deep. You know, it really made me think about things. So once I had seen that, I started consuming everything of his. Uh, Creepshow, Martin, um, Knight Riders, everything, the crazies. If he had his name on it, I was watching it 85 times, minimum. And uh, it, it's just, you know, George, is, he was a unique filmmaker because he had so much to say. Yet he wasn't afraid to have a pie fight break out at the end of a movie, you know? And that's amazing, man. You know, sometimes I, I think some people look at George is a very silly dude. He loved having fun. And I'm sure Matt can attest to this. When it came time to when it came time to be on set, he was especially in the in the dead universe. For George, the dead were very much the coyotes. You know what I mean? And and the Roadrunner would always best the coyote. You know, so George had a very Looney Tune sense of dynamics when it came to how he would dispatch his zombies, you know? And he did so with such a verbose sense of humor. And you know, I, I mean one time I think somebody was like saying to me something to the effect of, oh you just like survival because you're in it. No. No, that's not it at all. I'm in it for, what, two minutes? 
you know, I like it because one, I got to see Picasso painted, you know, and two, I knew how much George wanted to do that movie and how much fun he was having. And three, they're like, oh, well, it's so, it's full of so much humor and blah, blah, blah. Like, dude, this is a film from a guy who put a pie fight at arguably the ending of the greatest fucking horror movie ever made, you know? Mm-hmm. Of course there's humor in it. That's George. You knew George was happy with what he saw when he would smile. When he did a take and he would come back and he had this huge ass grin on his face. That's how you knew George was happy. You know? And uh yeah, it, it just he had so much to say. I, I often sit here and I wonder, what would he think of the state of the world right now? Oh holy mm. shit. The tribe he would run on about right now. And you know what? Could you imagine if he made it to Trump? Oh, my God. But you know what? He called it. He called every fucking bit of it. Trump, look back at Land of the Dead, Dennis Carrick. Oh, yeah. He called all of it. Every little aspect of what's going on right now, he pretty much called. And you want to talk about visionary? It doesn't get much more visionary than that, man. And that's because he understood that I guess no matter what, humans are the problem. Humans yeah. will always be the problem. Yeah. yeah, I just I just had this conversation with someone this week and we were talking about George and I said, when you look at all of his films, they're about 10 years ahead of schedule. Mm-hmm. Like when you go back and look at- Especially Diary. I was, I was just going to say, look at Diary. Yeah. George, we we know George was not the most tech savvy person. Didn't really like email. Wasn't a social media presence on his own. But he he saw it. He addressed it. He saw where we were going with it. Mm-hmm. And if you go back and watch Diary now, think about all the people that when they see something happening in the world, they're standing there with their cell phones, mm-hmm. and they're not doing anything. They're like, I can't wait to upload this so people can see it. And look what he's doing in two thousand and eight. Yep. Mm-hmm. And yeah. and the and the tribalism aspect of survival of the dead, where it's no, it's my way, and you're wrong. No, it's my way, you're wrong. Mm-hmm. And and like you said, the political climate and land. I mean, think about how far ahead he was looking. Yeah, and he that's why you well, can go back and see him now for what they really are. He may as well have been wearing a fucking turban with a mystic jewel in it. You know what I mean? <laughs> he really may as well have been. It, it, mm-hmm. It's ridiculous how ahead of his time. And, and there are certain filmmakers that are just like that. You know, certain movies, like when Day of the Dead first came out, it was reviled, man. People hated Day of the Dead. And now it's a classic, you know? And I, I think that as time goes on and as the climate that we live in unfolds, I think people will go back and look at these movies and see just how far ahead of the game he was. And then those movies that nobody liked, they become classics. And that's the sign of an incredible filmmaker. Well, it's just, you know, people discover a lot of George's movies that, you know, a lot of folks don't see until many years later. And they go back and they're like, I get it. And I'm like, I wish people would have watched these movies back then and kind of it would have grown with them, mm-hmm. you know, but they, they go back and they see it right away because I think we've been through so much in the last you know, not just the last year, five years, but the last 10, 15 years and how much George can address before it happened. Yeah. 
And, and they were like, this makes me love George even more because he was just, he wasn't just, I'm going to go put this on screen for shock value. Every right. one of his films has some sort of deeper meaning. And Calculated. he hits, Calculated. yeah, he hits society from every angle that he could. And when you go back, it's like, there's just so many layers. And that's why, you know, people talk about George all the time because, Every one of his films, there's the surface, there's the fun stuff, the stuff we love, the zombies, the dialogue. But then when you start digging through the themes and the, you know, interpersonal relationships and, and you know, how every one of his films is some sort of reflection on society at that time and how relevant they still are, even though they were made in the 70s or 80s. Mm -hmm. It's incredible. It's in few filmmakers. I think John Carpenter is another filmmaker like that where his work, it, it gets more appreciated with time. You know I mean? Very few filmmakers, I, I think, are actually in that boat. And very few filmmakers are unfortunately still alive who are. So I kind of want to surround John Carpenter with a SWAT team filled with medics at all times. You know, <laughs> just make sure he's okay, you know? Because, um, fuck, dude, we can't afford to lose anyone else at this point, you know? Yeah, it's true. And, uh, but yeah, man, I mean, I love talking about George. He's my favorite subject. So, so Matt, you, I'm jealous of. Okay, not only are you sexy as fuck, okay, but you got to be in not one, but two Romero movies. Okay, so you had the benefit of working with him twice. Mm -hmm. What was that like for you as a fan, man? Let's I compare mean, notes, motherfucker. I mean, I mean, you know, Land of the Dead. I was, I was twenty three, and and being on on set, and and having my makeup done by Greg and KMB Effects. You know, I was like, I, I was, I was a deer in the headlights. I was a kid in a candy store, and you know, when we get on set, and I, it's the first time you see George working, like live, mm -hmm. and I, I'm just. I, I'm just watching him the whole time. Like I'm like trying to take it all in, but I'm like trying to zero because I want to see George work. And, you know, we're given the directions. Okay. Stand here, walk in when we yell action and go do this. And, and you hear action and we're, we're shuffling and, and everything. And they're like, cut, you know, it's like, I took two steps in makeup on the set of a, a George movie. And I'm like, I can go now I'm done. Mm -hmm. I, I didn't even get to camera. I was like, that's it. And, and as the night got on, I actually got to see George really direct because there were the two security guards that in the movie, they were like, holy shit. And they run across the frame. There was something about him. They couldn't get right. And I saw George like hop out of his chair and he's over there and he's like pointing and he's doing that. And he's like, he's working. And I'm just sitting there watching it. And like you said, it was like watching Picasso paint. I'm like, I can't believe I get to see this. And seeing him throughout the night. And when we finally get in the building and we're kind of standing around between takes, cause they're moving the camera around. It was, it was after lunch and, you know, George walks by and, and I said, uh, he, he looks over and he comes over to us. And I said, George, thanks, you know, for doing this. Thanks for the opportunity. Thanks for making the movies. And he's like, no, thank you for wanting to do this. And I was like, okay. I like, I'm like, why is George thanking me? Like I'm there for him. You know, I, I would have given my left arm for that. And that was just, it, it was just mind blowing. And, you know, I didn't, I don't think I slept but an hour over the next two days because I was so pumped up 
I was just so like, I can't believe that happened. And then getting to go do that on survival, which that set was a completely different feeling. It was, yeah. it, it was more loose, but I could see more of George in that movie. I could see more of George's personality and he was smiling a lot more. He was, he was having more fun. And a lot of people don't get that about survival. And I'm like, Survival was a almost a pure form of George. Like George really went and put a lot of himself in that film and he was having a blast. And I was like, that's what you want every director to do. You want every director to have fun. And when I got, when I got picked to get shot and after we got done with the takes, he walks right up to me and he says, great job. And I was like, I just melted. <laughs> I was like, I, I was, I could have been a puddle. I'm like, again, George is thanking me. And just like you said, I'm like, who, who am I? I'm like super lucky to be here. I, I would have, you know, bled for the man. I'd been like, George, if you need me to go fall off that farmhouse, <laughs> I'm going to go do it 11 because I need to make sure I give you what you want. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, th those three days that we were up there, it was, you know, that there was that group of us that all knew each other, Felsher, Rob and Glenna and mm -hmm. all those guys. We just we wanted to be there because we got to see George work, but we wanted to give George our very best. And then we wanted to top ourselves to help him. And and when you get to see him work live and in person, even if you were just a fly on the wall and got to see him work or sitting in the you know video village, you know, whatever, it, it really makes you appreciate him as a person, him as a director and an artist and just see the love he had for movie making. Yeah. And and that just took my love of him to a to the next level. Yeah, I I'll never forget it. Um like my phone rang uh about a year before survival was going to be filmed. And he's like, "Steve Romero, how are you? I got a question for you, man." I'm like, "What's up, Joe?" he's like well i got this thing going on and i can't cast you as one of the living but i could cast you as one of the dead what do you think and i went nah man i can't work with you no nope. <laughs> sorry and i'm like are you fucking kidding me of course you know but when george romero asked you to be a zombie and i said this in the special region of survival you do whatever the fuck you can to get to that set I don't give a shit if you got to erect a life-size slingshot to get you there. You fucking do it. You go. Because you're never going to have this chance again unless you're Matt Blasey who gets this chance twice. Fuck you. Um, uh, you know, I got up there and I was the happiest motherfucker in Canada. No question. There was nobody in the world that was happier than I am during that that those few days that I was there. And I'll never forget when I, when I, when they were like, all right, Steve, it's time to get into makeup. I was like, holy shit, this is really fucking happening. Right. Um, I sat down in the K and B chair and I was like, all right, listen, I'm a friend of George. I don't have many requests, but I'm going to hit you with some requests. And Francois was like, what? I'm like, okay, well first, I don't want to be gray guy. There's a lot of gray guys. Okay, I don't want to be blood splatter guy either. I'm bald. Fucking torture me. Okay, put on every goddamn appliance. 
sense that you want to do shit to me that you wouldn't dream of doing to someone else who is consenting to it, all right? I was like, give it, give me all of it, right? And uh, the first day, man, we, we were in that pen, happy as a motherfucker. I was in that pen. I didn't give a fuck what else I did. I got to be in that pen, and I got to do it with you, and I could do it with Mike, and I got to do it with Glenna, and all these cool people. And there is such a, a weird camaraderie amongst the dead on a Romero set, because even when it came time to eat, all the zombies would sit separately from the human actors. Mm-hmm. You know? It was just so weird. It was like it really was some form of tribalism because we looked the same, so we were the same. So we wanted to sit with our people, you know, and the, the humans didn't want to eat with us because we we're all fucked up and gross and <laughs> did it, right? And uh I had no idea what I was doing on that set, you know? Uh, It was the last, I want to say the last couple days of filming, at least there on that farm. And I was, my makeup changed. If you you look closely at the movie, my makeup is drastically different two different times. Um, The last day I was there, and it was, I was leaving for the airport the next morning. Was um, They sat me in the makeup chair, and they really started putting this elaborate shit on me. And I'm like, okay, this is great. Maybe I'm going to get a close-up far out. Fuck yeah, right? And I, I got this makeup, and every once in a while, you remember they would just keep over, and they would spray more blood. Mm-hmm. Make sure you're nice and gooey. Yep. And... Uh, <laughs> It was, this was the most surreal moment of my life. It was, what, after three o'clock in the morning when everything's a cock joke, no matter what it is. If you're in a pen and you're a zombie at four, three, whatever in the morning, everything's a cock joke. It doesn't matter if you're a woman, you're a man, everything is a cock joke. And I can't explain that. It's just something you have to live. Um... (laughs) You know, it's about 3.30, and we were going to do the we, – we already did a couple of the setups. Remember when we first got out, we were walking, and that's when you got mm-hmm. shot. Mm-hmm. Um, George comes up to me, and they start burying that actor in the ground, remember? Mm-hmm. He comes up to me, and he goes, all right, Steve, this is what's going to happen here. You're going to do the main kill, you and Felcher. You're going to you're gonna get on top of that body, and you and he and, and everyone else, you're going to rip it apart, and then someone's going to carry off the legs, and you and Mike are going to be there, and you're going to bite into the spine. And I'm like, what? <laughs> right? And then he goes, okay, so now you know what you're doing, and keep in mind, we only have one body, and we have one take. Huh? You know? what the fuck right this is like there are so many things firing in my head at the same time i don't even know where to begin okay now not only am i in a romero movie which i was happy being the guy in the pen totally fine like you said matt two steps i'm done i can go i'm a happy guy but now i'm doing the main kill of the movie right like the main centerpiece kill you know, or, or of like one of the main characters. And 
we have one shot because we have one body. And I have to get this right. We have to get this right. Me, Felsher, all of us, all in our heads, the whole thing was, we have to get this right. And uh, what nobody realized, including George, including Maddie Berman, all of them, what no one realized was it was so fucking cold on that set that the fake body froze solid. Solid. I mean, fucking solid, okay? So now, you know, I'm jumping in place. I gotta, I gotta dive through a split level fence to jump onto this body. And George goes, you ready? And I'm like, I'm fucking ready, let's do this, right? And he calls action and I go flying through like a, like I was shot out of a fucking cannon, right? I land in no exaggeration about three pounds of horse shit. I don't care. Fuck it. This is I'm gonna I'm gonna lay in every ounce of this horse shit. If this is what I have to do to make this happen, I don't give a fuck, right? And we start tearing into the body, and we ain't getting nowhere, right? So we have to really start digging and digging and digging and digging and digging. And finally, one of us got our fingers in. And it, it's funny, too, because if you watch the Blu-ray special features, there's like a timer, a time code on how long it took this to happen. I think it was like three minutes. And uh, you could actually almost hear me say it of Mike Felcher, this fucking thing is frozen. Just like, I know, just fucking keep going. I'm like, I'm fucking will go anywhere. <laughs> so... Um, Finally, after, a, after about two, three minutes, we finally get it apart. And it looks fucking phenomenal. And I'm just, I'm, I'm so jacked up right now. I have like, I have tears in my eyes and I'm welling. And also I cut my hands on the spine because it was frozen. And I didn't know where I was really bleeding, where the fake blood was, but I didn't give a shit either, you know? And, uh, well, another thing nobody realized, as soon as we got that body apart, all of the fake blood froze immediately on our hands. It was like, Felsher coined the phrase, mittens made of pain. That's what it felt like, okay? And, um, you know, they got the shot, and George comes running over with this huge grin on his face, and he's like, you okay, man? And I just dropped to my knees in front of him and I hugged his legs and I just went, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. You know? Best moment of my life, hands down. And the second best moment was when someone came with a hot towel to get yeah. Because <laughs> holy shit, was that fucking painful. Yeah. never pain like that. It's like my, whole, my hands were vibrating with pain. It was an insanity. And... Um, Man, I had no idea. I, and that, that is really coming full circle. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's what I said. My, my bucket list is done. You know, I, I've yep. done, nobody realizes how lucky I am more than I do. I, I, I've done that. I've, I've pooped in the bathrooms of legends. <laughs> I went to the bathroom in George's bathroom. I dropped trowel in John Carpenter's bathroom. I've shit in the toilets of legends, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, what can I want? And I'll tell you what, 
I didn't think there was more for me to do until I did two more things that I'm insanely proud of. Uh, one, I got to work on the biggest horror documentary that's ever been made about the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise, Never Sleep Again. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Amazing. Didn't do that. Two, I got to record the commentary for Survival of the Dead with George. Yeah. And we did that. And that's the picture you're using. That me and George and the Muppet sitting on his couch. That's where we recorded the survival. Of the, and I, it, it's a shame that it never made it to the actual pressing of the Blu-ray. I'm that's hoping. I was going to ask. It was a it was a Blu-ray live exclusive. And is I have it. Is that even a thing anymore? Blu-ray live? No. I'm hoping Shout Factory or somebody releases it and uses it because it's such a funny commentary. It's great. George and I were just, we were drunk as fuck by the time it was over. You know, we started talking about the movie and we ended talking about Led Zeppelin. You know, we were (laughs) buzzed. And if you don't have it, I'll send it to you. Um, it, It was amazing. And, uh, I thought I had done it, you know, I'm like, there's nothing else for me to do. And as if I couldn't get luckier, I ended up seeing a little movie called Terrifier. And I knew when I saw that movie that uh, it was exactly what it needed to be at exactly the right time. And so I, I fought tooth and nail for that movie to get released. And it was my company, Dread Central, that released it. And magic. All of a sudden, like, so many people have embraced this character of Art the Clown in so much of a quicker way than I ever thought possible. I mean, there are murals of this character all over the world. Every show I go to, I see people dressed up as Art the Clown in in T-shirts. So now I played a part in giving the fans a new horror icon to get behind. And I think that's amazing. And now I'm lucky enough to be working on the second one, which is looking incredible. And, uh, you know, maybe there's a third one, maybe not. I don't know. But um, that's up to Damien. Uh, well, be about anyway. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, man, it's just been... It's been an amazing ride, man. And if it wasn't for George and, and Sid and, and the fans and everything else that I had the good fortune of doing and everyone that, that believed in me and didn't tell me I couldn't do it, like the few people in my life who said, just go for it, none of this would have happened. You know, so it just goes to show you if a schmuck like me can actually live out some of his dreams. If you believe in yourself and you believe in your that passion and you really believe in what you're doing, you can do it. it, it there's no question mm-hmm. in my mind of it. Um, I wanted to ask before we got too far away from it about the commentary, though. Uh, what? So it was originally intended to be included as just a regular part of the disc. To, and I mean, how did that? I don't know. Do you have uh, any? Is there any more story to that? There's a little bit more of a story. Um, the commentary was recorded. I don't think it got to Magnet in the proper amount of time for it to make it to the main pressing. So what they had decided to do was the first ever BD Live downloadable extra. 
And they made it sound all sorts of good, but who knew where it was? You know, who even knew where to find that? You know, BD Live isn't exactly something that took off. Mm-hmm. You know, so uh, again, I, I really hope that, you know, a company like Scream Factory or somebody takes Survival of the Dead and gives it the treatment that it deserves and they take that commentary, which incidentally is the last commentary George ever did, you know, and, and, and release it into the wild as it should be because it was, it's such a fun commentary. It re- and I'm not just saying that because I own that commentary. So anyone wants to, re- I'm up for it. You see, Michael Felsher, I love Mike. <laughs> I see his comment right there. You know, it, it's so, I, I wish. I wish to fucking God it was actually on desk because it should be. I mean, it's a testament. And you know what? And I'm not just waxing his car, but Michael Felsher, that is one integral dude to George's legacy. Mm-hmm. Michael and George were really good friends. And few, I mean, if you look at his just desserts, you know, the making of Creep Show, Michael Felsher. Yes, you are very lovable, Mike. Michael Felcher is absolutely incredible. There is nobody that puts more love and feeling and, and caring into special features than he does. Mm-hmm. He's you know, when you watch something that's put out by Red Shirt Pictures, yeah. you know that there's going to be a certain degree of quality that's coming with that. And yep. I can't say that about a lot of people. 100% agree with that. Yep. What you got, Matt? I've been. <laughs> well, I was. I, I mean, I was just thinking. So, I mean, you know, what do you feel? You know, the current state of independent horror is because now we have we have something new like Terrifier and Art the Clown, and and we've got Shutter, you know, mm-hmm. which is our our horror Netflix. I mean, and Shutter mm-hmm. has begun to do Shutter originals. So, what do you feel in, in this day and age is is the state of of indie horror? I think it's thriving. And I think that's exciting because you look at movies like, like let's say, for example, the perfect quarantine movie was Host on Shudder. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jen Shudder and Rob Savage did that movie. And you want to talk about lightning in a bottle. That was right place, right time. But you also got to look at it from a standpoint. We wouldn't have gotten that movie if it wasn't for Shudder. That movie was like 56 minutes. Okay. And that's not exactly a runtime that people would flock to. So what things like Shudder have done is they've made uh, these projects that may go against a lot of the grain, they made them into something more accessible for horror fans. And I I think everything is changing. I mean, listen, we have no illusions. No one, no major studio is going to touch Terrifier or Terrifier 2. The movie is just incredibly violent, and it is what it is, you know? And uh, what's cool about it is Terrifier is, it belongs to the fans, you know? They're the ones that are really behind this movie. They're the ones that are making all the noise, getting the tattoos. There's no studio behind Terrifier. It's all fan-driven. Damien Leone, the director, the whole crew, George Scott, everybody, they're, they're amazing and they work their asses off. And David Howard Thornton, who plays art, you know, he has a background as a mime. So he brings such a dimension to the character of Art the Clown. And again, these are movies that are 
like that fans own, you know, the, the, the franchise wise terrifier is a fan owned franchise. And I think that's exciting. And I think places like shutter shutter is doing really amazing things, man. I mean, Joe Bob, everything. I love what shutter is doing. So to me, in terms of indie horror, it's never been a better time. I mean, yeah, you're going to see a lot of shit too. Cause that's just the nature of the beast. Cause let's face it. Sometimes just because you give somebody sauce and, and dough and, and cheese doesn't mean they can make a pizza, <laughs> you know? So you have to sit through a certain degree of stuff that is going to be, but when you do find those that are like diamonds in the rough, man, they shine so fucking bright and it, it's amazing. I, I, I couldn't think of a more exciting time to be alive and be a horror fan. I really couldn't. Is that where um, a lot of your focus is today towards just the production end of independent film? Or is that what you're looking to, to focus on? Yeah, you know, like I said, um, I learned a lot from a lot of great people in my career, which is already I'm almost 25 years into it, which is amazing to me because who the fuck ever thought that would happen? Um, I like being able to help out younger film. I mean, with Dread Central, that's what I did. I was a glorified cheerleader, man, you know? Uh, my objective with Dread Central was always to make sure that the studio filmmaker and the independent filmmaker were on a level playing field. No one's voice was louder than the other. And as a result, Dread Central uh, was the most indie friendly of all the horror websites. And I, I don't know if that's still the narrative. That was my narrative. That's the way I wanted it to be because we started living in a different world, man. I mean, back in the early 80s, you know, a Sam Raimi could get an Evil Dead in the theater. You know, nowadays that shit just ain't going to happen. You know, unless there's other contributing factors, like even paranormal activity, there was that whole, you have to demand it to bring it to your city, you know? And, uh, and, and that's one of the greatest things about the internet because the internet and the fans having access to things like that can make stuff like that happen. And it, it's just exciting. Absolutely. Well, now you're, you are a member of the team at the uh, foundation as well. And we're, it's, it's awesome. I mean, you came on like right after us. So we're, we're pretty much got the same amount of time in. So it's, yeah, I mean, yeah. It, there's a lot of stuff going on here too, as well. And I, I always want to do more, you know, I, I always do. I've run into a real, I'm in a real weird uh, transition part of my life right now where I'm kind of feeling around in the dark, but I'm finding my footing again. And, you know, I, I, it, I've gone through some bad shit recently, but, you know, I, I'm, I'm thankful for it because, um, you know, being happy, that's the easy part, right? When things are good and things are hilarious and it's easy to smile, that's easy, you know? It's when you're on your ass, when you're sitting there and you all you could do is look up at these walls and say to yourself, okay, how high are these motherfuckers and what do I have to do to climb out of this? You know, the choices you make when you're down, those are going to shape who you are, who you become. So that's the most exciting part in your life. You know, I, I always tell anyone, 
Am I a financial success? Absolutely not. Am I a success in every other sense of the way? Goddamn right I am. And I did it on my terms. And I did it with people like George and Sid Haig and Mike Felsher and Matt Blasey and Eric Kent. You guys are doing what you love. And that can never be understated. Do what you love. That's the best advice anyone's ever given me. And it was George who gave it to me. And he gave me one other little piece of advice that was probably the most important thing he ever told me was he said, Steve, man, let me tell you something. And I, I know Matt's like, yeah, I could hear him. <laughs> let me tell you something, man. Whatever you do in life, if you start something, you better finish it. You know? And I try to do that with everything I did. I, I took Dread Central as far as I could take it. So I had to finish that chapter, even though it hurt. Uh, in my personal life, I've been through some shit that was as far as I could take it. And that hurt. But, you know, you do what you have to do to make sure that you can live and the people around you can live. And you keep pushing forward. And that's all it's about is just pushing forward. And if you could do it, you could find a way to do it and exist and be who you are and be successful on your terms. And you're living the life, Jack. That's the dream. It's not living in the mountains or with money and pools. That shit's nice, but that's not the dream. The dream is going to bed at night happy, knowing that you did your thing the way you wanted to do it. And nobody can take that away from you. That's the dream. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's amazing. Well said, Steve. And I need to get you on speed dial because I need you. Uh, you need to be my life coach, brother. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Careful what you wish for, buddy. It's not all sunshine and roses in Barton land. Let me tell you. Talk to me first, Eric. I'll let you know what it's like. <laughs> Trust yeah. me, the text from last night, I'll, I'll show you, you know. Okay. All right. Well, I'll, I'll consult hey, man, you first. Hey, man, somebody's got to entertain you, Matt. I mean, no, you, you do. No, and I'm, I'm, I'm serious, dude. No, you, you have a great outlook. Um, you, yeah. You're one of those guys, just like George, who, who's done some incredible things, but you, you, you never forgot why you were doing it. And you never forgot about the people around you and you do the best you can to lift everybody up. And, and George was the same way, super supportive, wanted to do it because you, you love it. You have the passion for it. And it's an, you know, it's, it's an infectious type of personality. And I absolutely love reconnecting with you more consistently recently. Cause it's just been like, okay, this has been the missing piece. I really didn't know I was missing. And, and that's why we want to sit here and talk to you because it's just, I, the shows like this are, are great for me and Eric because we just sit back and let you talk or, or the guests talk because it's it's great. Like, that's what we want. I know that feeling very well. Believe me, I've led a lot of interviews. Yeah. And and the best ones are where you do as little talking as possible because they're answering your questions before you can you can ask Adam them. Green, best interview you could ever do. Ask Adam one question shows over 90 minutes later. It's great. <laughs> Oh, yeah, Adam, you say that shit. Uh, <laughs> seriously, though, man, th thank you for saying that, Matt. I really appreciate that. And I, I hope you know how incredibly proud George would be of you for putting out that book. 
Thank you. Insanely proud of you. He'd, he'd have bought 10 copies. Me, I'm waiting for the audio version because I hike. <laughs> you got to do that, man. You got to do that. You know, that, that came up a couple of times. And I, and I actually had an idea about it. And, and I'll kick it around because I have to see what has to go into doing an audiobook version. So it, it it's on there. I want to tink, tinker with it a little bit more and, and, and I'll figure it out. But I, I'll push it higher to the list because mm -hmm. I'm a physical media guy. You know, I like my Blu-rays and my DVDs yeah. and, and my vinyl yeah. and, you know, and, and I yeah. like holding a book. You know, there's just something special about holding it. But I can also dig on listening to the dulcet tones of Matt Blasey talk. Well, we'll I'm see. About, we'll see. I can, Hot I can always get into the mic like this and really you help your walk. There you go, baby. Barry White, that bitch. What's up with the carrot dangle, man? Are you gonna are you gonna like wait and make me wait to see who you get in September? Is it gonna be like are you gonna do the fucking the carrot dangle of what guest you got lined up for September? Do I get to know about it or what the fuck, man? You know, I hear uh, those red cups are hot in Germany. Mmm. <laughs> <laughs> that so next time we <laughs> telling you shit bitch <laughs> well i guess what, what what do you think matt what do you, how do you feel? i i think i, I think you, we can why don't you give a 30 second little uh intro and then I'll, i guess i'll lay the uh the graphic well you want to you want to reveal what the graphic and i'll kind of do the lead in because i could totally do that um yeah, September is going to be a fun month. There is, um, you know, lots of horror conventions are happening around the world or the country and at least hopefully the world. And, and our guest is is very synonymous with the horror genre. This person has given many of us great childhood memories. And if we weren't a child, we were we were in our 20s uh, when they were on TV and their insight into film it is bar none. And you want to talk about a career resurgence in the last couple of years. They have really brought forth a new generation of fans. They've reignited our love of independent film uh, and really exposed us to a lot of classics, a lot of movies we've never been able to see. And I feel that they have really helped film in this day and age means something again, new films, old films, uh, undiscovered gems, VHS classics. And I, this is someone that I've always oh. wanted to talk to. <laughs> this hey, is, Matt, this is a good I, one. I, man. All right. I'll let it be Tom Cruise level. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I will come back at the end of September. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So see Barton part two, ladies and gentlemen, um, uh, no, uh, I, I don't think I could I could say any more. So if I, I'll just go ahead and say it. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, September 25th at 8 p.m. Uh, live on the Garf Network, we will have none other than the legendary Joe Bob Briggs. Yes. On the Garf Network. <laughs> awesome. Graphic. That's great. <laughs> so get out your Lone Stars, get out your bolos, your cowboy hats and your cowboy boots and join us for a chat about the drive-in and what it means and everything that joe bob has been doing the last couple of years i mean 
when I said about a career resurgence, I mean, who would have thought Joe Bob would be on TV again and just taking the film world by storm in terms of horror? It's Joe Bob Briggs, ladies and gentlemen. There's not much else I can say about that. <laughs> no, you've said a mouthful, man. You know, you put him over. And uh, yeah, we'll get that event created in the next couple of days. But yeah, that's just a little yeah, teaser. All of a catch, brother. Good. Good on you. It's, and we, it's, we, we got to thank Suze. She, I mean, yes. she's been the architect of this and she, yep. she does have a vision for the network. And, you know, while we're, you know, I guess we can say it and hopefully we'll have some additional programming on the horizon. I'm not going to say any mm -hmm. more than that. We're still in the, kind of the infant stages of that, but. You know, uh, Wilshire and I need our own show, man. That's what I'm saying. I know it, man. You've been. <laughs> That, that airs at 2 a.m. on <laughs> exactly. Saturday night. Yeah. We know what kind of show that's going to be. <laughs> we know what type of show you're going to have, and, and we'll slot you in at 2 a.m. on the Garf Network Saturday night. Probably a good idea. Yeah, and it's only going to be cable access. We're not shotgunning <laughs> this out to the world. <laughs> yeah, we, yeah, I don't know if he's here. He's not commenting on it if he is. So. Oh, he missed it. Uh, yeah. See that? He never pays enough attention to me at the right time. Well, and you know what? You're you're the kind of guest where we Eric doesn't need to use the button when Mike when Mike comes on because we got to keep Mike kind of on a short leash. So, well, well yeah, when he starts <laughs> yeah. demanding payment and I know, you know negotiating on air. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know who his agent is, but I need to talk to him because this is getting out of control. God love him. I love Felcher. Yeah. I'm gonna wear. I'm gonna get myself an I Love Felsher T-shirt. Next time I do the show, I'm gonna wear it. <laughs> just get a Felsher mask and just do the, <laughs> do, the show, do the show behind a paper mask. Yeah. shirt coming soon to the uh, Gar Foundation website. We'll see. Yeah. I love uh, Felsher. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I there you go. Felcher. Or or I, I love Felshi. I heart Felshi. <laughs> <laughs> we need to make a plushie of a Felsher. <laughs> This and, is this is a little cottage industry we've wait, discovered here. <laughs> we didn't notice. We didn't even know. Look, all these fucking ideas come flooding in. There you go, man. I'm telling you, I'm writing them down. So we'll uh we'll get yeah, on I production. Yeah, your hands are really busy. Totally <laughs> busy. Well, Steve, we want to thank you for coming on the Garf Network. Um, pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you for doing this, man. Yeah. I mean, you two more than anyone have been doing so much to keep. Uh, the network going, you know, you guys are the tip of the spear, you know, and you, you're doing such a great job and it's an honor just to be able to hear, sit here and rap with you, man. I'm happy as a pig and shit. I'll do it anytime you want. That's a quote right there. You guys are the tip of the spear, Steve Barton. Okay. You guys are the <laughs> I'm snagging that one. I could have said you're the tip of something else. I know. I know. <laughs> you guys are the tip of the penis. And, and I, honestly, uh, Matt and I will probably have a show between then and now, but we did mm -hmm. want to get get a leg up and get that Joe Bob announcement out there. Well, you like how I forced you into it, too? Yeah. <laughs> that, we weren't ready. I, 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 I'm, ready. I'm, I'm like a director. I pull shit out of people. I, I yeah. can't help it. No, I mean, we've been we've been wanting to talk about that. And we were we were on the the edge of, of getting that announced anyway. And what a better time to do it than on the show. Cause I mean, it's, it's Joe Bob, it's independent cinema. And I mean, just 
to hear some of his thoughts about the current state of the world and in terms of horror and, you know, what he's been liking and what he's been, you know, wanting to see more of and what's reignited him to come back to Shudder. Because, I mean, there's probably many people out there that got Shuttered just because Joe Bob was coming on. Mm-hmm. I'm one of them. Yeah, you know, I, I was like, I was on board. I was on board. I was like, ah, I got to get shut. And they're like, you know, Joe Bob's coming back. I'm like, subscribe. <laughs> yeah, and it's not my place to tell, but keep an eye on Shutter. They got some really cool shit planned. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Oh, I'm down. I, I love what they're doing. God bless them. I, yeah. I put it this way, the horror landscape's about to get so much cooler. And I, 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 that's the thing about being in the position I'm in. I, I know all these little inside little things, but holy shit, is there cool shit coming? Awesome. Well, I can't wait. No, I'm excited. That's like $5.99. What is it? $4.99? $5.99? It's stupid cheap. Yeah. And it's like, why, why not? It's, it, it, there's hundreds of hours of programming that I probably won't get to. But knowing it's there and it's going to be the day that I finally watch that movie that I probably will never own. But I'm like, you know what? I've been wanting to see this. But my mm. focus with Shudder is a lot of what they're putting out in terms of their Shudder or- originals. Because mm-hmm. I know the classics will always be there. But I'm like, what's this new one? And and like you said, with Host, I was so excited for Host when, it, when they were talking about it. And I watched it like, I think once a day for almost a week just because I was so enthralled with it. You guys should get Jed Shepard on here and Rob Savage. Yeah. Yeah, the whole cast. I can make that happen. We do need to get them back because Rob and Jed are doing... Rob's doing... He's got a movie, I think, almost done or in the can, and then Jed's working on that uh, game, Ghost, with the girls. Jed's working on fucking everything. God bless that guy. He is a juggernaut, man. Yeah. No, yeah, those guys are awesome. A good little place to plug. Um, myself, Jed, a bunch of other really cool filmmakers. We're on that this app called Clubhouse. Mm-hmm. Clubhouse is like an audio-based experience. It's open to everyone now. But on like Thursdays, we do the Clubhouse of Horror. We talk about horror filmmaking from A to Z. And it's always me, it's Jed, it's Barbara Crampton, Bonnie Aaron's a lot of real good horror luminaries shooting the shit. So if you ever want to get in touch or just hear uh, from some of these people like that, top on Clubhouse, man. Join the Horror Film Club. You know, this is an app. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It, it, uh, I have it and it always pops up, and I'm like, oh, I need to listen to Jed, and I never, yeah. never get the chance. But I got to make follow, a point. Go to the Clubhouse. Follow the Horror Club. And anytime I'm on or Jed's on or whomever is on, you can hit a little bell and I'll send you a notification when we're live. And uh, really, there's actually something really exciting came out of Clubhouse. Uh, there's this uh, producer named Sebastian Bazile. Uh, he was on Clubhouse one night at like five in the morning. And there were a bunch of other indie filmmakers on there with him. And he's hooked, he told them, I'll tell you what, I'll fund your short films. Uh, here's X amount of money. Uh, there's several short films that got made, and now they're putting an anthology called Symphony. And it's the first ever Clubhouse branded 
horror movie, and I have never seen anything like that happen before. That's cool. Wow. There, this Just sep- from being on, online at the right time. And September 2nd, they're announcing the second one. They're going to do another Clubhouse-based anthology. Um, I'm going to serve as a producer on it. Uh, a lot of good people are in it. Uh, a lot of good people working with it. So come on and check it out, man. Yeah, but, man. Clubhouse is cool as hell. It's, it's a opportunity for indie films, indie filmmakers, I should say. Yeah, keep us posted yeah. on that. That's, that mm-hmm. sounds awesome. But yeah, that's that's completely new to me. I was not even aware of that app. So oh, download it. It's free. Yeah, I'll check it's, it out. It's like a it's like a participatory podcast. It's all mm-hmm. yeah. So you can look up like there's a room for like everything, you mm-hmm. know. And the horror rooms are always the most fun, and I'm I'm frequently haunted those halls. All right, now that sounds cool. Yeah, very cool. All right. Well, I guess that wraps us up for this week. Uh, Steve, we'll have to have you on again at some point. Anytime. Uh, and and we'll, yeah, thanks for coming on tonight, too. We really love the stories. And uh, yeah, glad to have you on board with the Garf as well. That's awesome. Always a pleasure. Fellas, thank yeah. you so much for all that you do. You guys are yeah. killing. Keep killing. You're the tip of the spear, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> no, we love it. We're going to keep doing it the best we can and, you know, appreciate the support and, and everything from you. You know, everything you've done, everything you're doing and everything you're you're talking about continuing to do. Thank you for being you and and constantly looking out for for horror and, and you know, keeping George's legacy alive through your stories and, and everything. So thank you. My pleasure. You know, least I could do, man. Besides that, I ain't got nothing else going on. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck all's happening in my life other than that. <laughs> all right, till next time, I'm Eric. And I'm Matt. And I'm Uncle Creepy. And we'll see you on the Garf Network. <laughs>